This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, welcome. Welcome to the Shmooz Live. Please let me know if you could hear and if you could see if the audio is clear and if the video is clear, if you could just let me know, please. I would greatly appreciate that. Someone let me know, please. Um, and someone from the audience. It would be great if you could let me know. Um, use a Q&A, please. Here, Q&A, excellent. Okay. Yes, okay, thank you, Avram, thank you, Shikayach. Okay, very good. Okay, welcome to the Shmuz Live. A little vacation, a little break anyway. There's no vacation from Torah, but there are certain breaks, certain times. So then we're going to share. Oh, the grace of Tzaddik, Shalom Aleichem. Edward, I haven't seen you in a long time. Hope you're well. Hope you're well. Good to see you, good to see you. All right, we'll give everybody a few minutes to to join, to come in. And then we'll get started. Um, okay, I hope you're all doing well. I hope everybody is uh, well. Um, did everybody get Grace Tzadik? Did you get the um, the ten really dumb mistakes? That's a question. That that book's a good book. I uh, I'm a fan of that book. Did you get a chance to look at that? Send me answer me please in the Q and A. I just wanted to know if you did. Let me know, please. I would greatly appreciate it. Everybody, if you let me know. Um, I, I think you would enjoy that book tremendously. At least your wife would enjoy if I if, um, um, you did. Any impressions, any thoughts? No? I should give you the microphone. I'm afraid later on I'll give you the mic, but you let me know your thoughts on it. Good or bad or, or, or in between or whatever they may be. All right. Okay, we'll give a few minutes for people to come in. And then we'll uh, we'll get started. Um, a couple of quick announcements. If you're not uh, getting the shoes WhatsApp chizik, so go to the shoes.com. We have a group that uh, three, four times a week we send out these very inspirational short videos. In fact, we now have on marriage, I have a 50 short clips that I just produced that uh, actually 30 of them are done, 20 more to go. Uh, and those will be coming out soon. But we send out three or four times a week, we send out inspirational short videos on many different topics, anything from Amuna to Dominating to whatever the subject may be. Uh, And uh, so if you'd like to get those, and also a replay of all the Shurim, so join the Shmooz WhatsApp Chizik group. If you go to the Shmooz.com, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com, you'll be able to see there a banner on the top. You just click on it, and it'll put you into the Shmooz Chizik WhatsApp group. Also, Mitzvah starting this Wednesday night, I'm starting a new series, Mitzvah uh, The title of the series is, it's actually very interesting because it's going to be, um, it's really, let me find the title because Mrs. Miller comes up with the titles. The title of the series is Becoming a Whole Person. It's a weekly share on how to achieve a balanced and healthy sense of self. It deals with things that we typically don't deal with, namely 
how a person is supposed to view themselves and having an accurate, healthy self-image, the balance between the greatness of a human being and that you're being humble, having a good self-esteem without becoming haughty, which is a very delicate and very difficult um, issue, and many people suffer from. So that's a series we're going to start this coming Wednesday night. Uh, it'll run, I, I, I figure, about eight t- sessions or so. I, I won't know until I get into it a little bit more, but that'll start on Yitzhashem Wednesday night. Uh, we hope that'll run straight. Um, and uh, so please look for that. The emails will be out. And again, Shuz WhatsApp is a group. That's the best way to really stay in touch. If you'd like to join, again, just go to shmuz.com and, uh, and you'll get the, the link uh, there to join. Okay, and anytime you have questions, please feel free to type them into the Q&A, and also I'll take live questions when we're done. I'll ask people to raise their hands, and you'll be more than welcome to raise your hands and, uh, and to participate. Okay, let's, uh, let's begin. We are now in the days of Sira because of the events that happened, and the Gemara explains to us what exactly happened. Twelve thousand pairs of students, twelve thousand chavrusas, were students of Rabbi Kiva. They spread out throughout the land of Israel. All twenty-four thousand died in one short time period. Why is it? Because they did not treat each other with honor. It was a devastation. It was a calamity. The best of the best, 12,000 zugim, 12,000 pairs, meaning again, 24,000 students die. By Olam Shomim, the world was desolate. Rikiva came to the rabbis in the south of Shanalem. He taught them. And Rabbi Kiva reestablished the Masorah through these five great Tamir Chachamim. The Gemara continues, All of these great Tamir Chachamim, the 24,000, died in a short time period from Pesach till Shuas. That's why we have Sira during this time period. And the Gemara tells us they all died in Misara, a terrible death, Achsara, some type of choking death. Okay. Now, as a nation, we have lived through many tragedies. Destructions, war, famines, exiles, persecutions, pogroms, annihilations. We are no stranger to suffering. Yet very few events make it onto our national calendar. And this one did. This is one of history's greatest tragedies. 2,000 years later, almost to that extent, we're still mourning this event. We don't make weddings, we don't shave, we don't listen to music. It has shaped our world, and it affects us till today. If you'd like to understand what it was like, it's equivalent in our day and age if the great yeshivas, Lakewood, Mir, Chavetz Chaim, Chaim Berlin, tells if all the yeshivas suddenly, Tamir Rachman died. Thousands and thousands. If you can imagine Rachman Latzan, Baruch Hashem, today we have in Lakewood 9,000 people learning full-time. Mir Yishalayim is close to that. Rahman al I can't even say the words, but that was a type of tragedy. If you'd imagine the base Bhati Madrashim emptied out and devastation, that was the level of tragedy in the time. All the yeshivas lost their best, the cream of the crop, and it is a tragedy that lasts with us till today. But I'd like to know what we're supposed to learn from this. Because when we keep a part of our calendar 
And Chazal put it into halacha and into the Masorah. There's something for us to learn from it. And the question is, what is the application? What are we supposed to take from this? So let's begin with a misnomer, with a mistake that people make. People commonly assume if the Talmudim of Rabbi Akiva were killed, they must have been bores. They must have been rude, obnoxious people pushing, shoving. Oh my goodness, if Hashem had to kill out this cadre of Tamid Chachamim, they must have been the worst of the worst. However, and that is historically not accurate. Yomar doesn't say they cursed, they pushed, they shoved, they were rude, obnoxious. Lo nogu kovud They didn't treat each other with the honor due to each other. They weren't no a covered. They didn't act with the honor due. Okay, so now that we have it in perspective, the question is, what are we supposed to take from it? What is the lesson? And more significantly, let's ask the pointed question. Why is it that they were not no a covered? Let's sort of focus on the following. There's a mitzvah ase midaraisa called Abbas Yisrael. The Sefer Chinuch explains, Lev kol echam Yisrael avas nefesh. I'm obligated to love every fellow Jew with a love. I'm obligated to be concerned for their benefit, to be concerned, concerned for their welfare, to look out for their good. It's a mitzvah asleim in a Torah. And in matter of fact, the Gemara tells us that Klaal Gadol Torah, it's a major theme in the Torah. And the Gemara explains to us what that means. If you look at the theme that runs throughout the Torah, the chord that runs throughout all the mitzvahs, and this is it, it's a klal gadol b'torah, it's a great principle in the Torah. But I'd like to ask you a very pointed question. Who said that statement? That statement, loving your friend like yourself is a great principle in the Torah. It's the underpinning, it's the chord, the theme that runs throughout the Torah. Who made that statement? Amar Rebbe Akiva. Rebbe Akiva is the one who made that statement. Rabbi Akiva was their Rebbe. Rabbi Akiva taught them, and I believe that if you understood what was happening there, there were tremendous, tremendous people. They had chesed committees and gamachs, and they were lovely, lovely people. But the problem was, but what does that mean? They loved each other, and they acted with tremendous chesed to each other, but they weren't no a covered zebezeh. And to understand, in fact, what the flaw of the Talmudim was, what they were held accountable for, and again, assuming certainly that they loved each other as each other, they were tremendous, tremendous people. These were students of Rabbi Akiva, Tanoim in their own rights. They were people of tremendous stature, and they fulfilled the Torah, including Vavdarech HaKamocha. So what was lacking? What does the Gemara mean when it says, Onago covered Zebezeh, they didn't treat each other with honor? And to answer this question, you'll excuse me for being a little bit Jewish and ask, answering this question with another question. I heard my Rebbe, the Rishiva Zetzal, <coughs> speak about a Pasuk in Chumash. Pasuk in Bereshia says, Zes Sefer told us, Adam, and this is the story of the creation of man, Biyom Baralakim Adam, the day that Hashem created man, Bidmus Elokim Asoso. Hashem made man in the image of Hashem. And the Daza Kanan brings down a fascinating machlokas between Rabbi Kiva and Ben Azai. Rabbi Kiva says, that's the great principle in the Torah. If you want to reach the heights, you want to reach the true pinnacle of greatness, love your neighbor as yourself. Says Ben Azai, this Pasuk that we just read, 
will bring a person to even greater heights of Ben Adam Lachaviru. Why? Because what this Pasuk says is, B'Tselem Elokim Nivra Adam. Hashem created man in the image of Hashem. And Adasakanim explains why. <clears throat> I see the image of my friend, but I don't see my own image. Says Ben Azai, this possible will propel you to greater heights than after Rakhamocha. As much as you love your friend, that'll bring you to treat him properly, knowing there is, that my friend was created in the image of Hashem will bring me to greater heights. And my Rebbe Rishivazatzal asked, this doesn't seem to make sense. Because the Avdarach is the height. How could you be a big, bigger Balchesed, a greater person? How could you be more concerned for anybody than if you fulfill the Avdarach And let me give you an example of what, what I mean by that. I was a high school Rebbe for many years. And the guys lived in the dorms. Now I want you to imagine for a minute the following. Imagine it's 2 o'clock in the morning. And one fellow says to him, Maishi, 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 I'm thirsty. So get, a, get some water. No, but Moshe, I'm too tired to get out of bed. So go to sleep. No, but Moshe, I'm thirsty. So get some water. But Moshe, I'm too tired to get out of bed. Could you get out of bed and get me a cup of coffee? Get me a cup of water? Could you imagine that conversation happening? And can you imagine Moshe actually getting out of bed, getting a cup of water, and bringing it to his friend who's in bed? Now, you and I aren't asked to do this. But if a person really reached the heights of a Haftarecha Kamocha, if I really love my friend as I do myself, I would get out of bed and get a cup of water and bring it to my friend because he's thirsty, because I'm obligated to love him as I do myself. That's what the Haftarecha Kamocha means. If you'd like to understand what it means in plain, simple language, and one of the great Hasidish Rebbeim, the Lovava, was a, he was known as an Oev Yisrael. And in a safer called Tver Shlomo, they write about this Lovava Rebbe, and here's what he says about him. The Lovava Rebbe once got up and said, how could you call me an Oiv Yisrael? How could you say I love every Jew? I love my children more than I love other people. If I was a real lover of the Klaishol, I would love everyone equal to my children. I'm nowhere near that. That was Mordechai. That's not me. I'm nowhere near that level. Do you hear what he's saying? What he's saying is he's lamenting the fact that he loves his children more than he loves others. But that's ultimately the level that a tzaddik would reach. And if you really, really reach the pinnacle, the absolute heights of Haftarach you love every Jew as you do yourself. So my Rebbe Roshiva Zatzal asked, how could Ben Azai say that there's a greater principle than that? How could anything bring you to greater heights of being concerned for other people's good and doing chesed for them. The Haftarach is the greatest imaginable level. How could Ben Azai say there's a principle that will bring you to even greater heights in Ben Adam Lechaveru in treating your friend properly? And if you'd like to know the answer to this question, I'll share with you a mushal. For this mushal, you have to pick a hero, someone you really respect. And imagine that this hero comes to your house. So I'm going to do it in terms, let's say it was a year ago, and I find out that Rav Chaim Kanievsky is coming to America. He needs a place to stay, and he asks to stay in my house. Oh, my goodness. The God of is coming. Oh, my God. I spend weeks cleaning and preparing, and, and, and when he comes here, oh, everything. What, what can I do for the Rosh What can I do? How can I help? Could you imagine if I had the privilege, the extraordinary opportunity of having the God of Yisrael in my house? No effort would be too great. No energy that I would expand would be considered enough. I would do anything and everything because, oh my goodness, look who I have the opportunity of serving. 
My Rebbe Rishuv said, that's what Benazai is teaching us. If I train my eye to see, I look at my friend and I see, oh my goodness, an image of Hashem, an image of God himself. Do you understand the honor due to that person? And you understand the cover that I have to treat him with? Oh my goodness, look at that person. I would do anything for him. I would <clears throat> climb any mountain, ford any stream, because oh my goodness, look at that person. And that's how the Rishibu Sal explained Ben Azai. It's true, Ve'ahavdurech is a great principle. Loving your friend like yourself will bring you to great heights. But says Ben Azai, this will bring you to even greater heights. Why? Because as much as you love your friend, you love him as yourself. How much am I going to do for myself? How much am I going to go? But when I see my friend, and I see in him the image of God, the honor due to such a person, oh my goodness, it's beyond description, and that will propel me to much greater heights, and that is the answer to Ben Azai. And I got to see this in a very real way in my own life. As again, I mentioned, I was a high school Rebbe for many years, and it was in one year there was a fellow who was doing very, very well in my shear, extremely well, and we're pretty close. And one day something happened, a certain event in the dorm, and the decision was made to expel him from yeshiva. I went into Rabbi Duritz of yeshiva, and I said, you can't do it. He's a great guy. He's learning. He's steiging. He's a mensch. And I was going on and on, pleading my case. When I left the office, the word quickly spread that I was defending this fellow, and it seemed like every single guy in the yeshiva, from the ninth grade to the kolo, came over to me and said, you're nuts, the guy's a machutzov, he's a manuval, he's horrible, he's terrible. On and on, they were telling me how bad the guy is, what he does. Oh my God. And I said to myself, I don't get it. I know the guy very well. I, he's in Shir every day. Three, four hours a day, I'm with him, whether it's chavrusas or being, giving Shir directly. I'm involved with the guy. How could it be that they have such a vastly different understanding of him than I do? And the answer is that to me, he acted very differently. He respected me, looked at me as a Rebbe he wanted to impress, and he had a very different demeanor, very different behavior towards me than he did to the guys in the dorm, and he put on a much different face. And I believe this concept of knowing who people are and respecting them appropriately as a tremendous yesod in Ben Adam Lechavero. Ben Aza is teaching us that it's greater than Vahavtarech HaKamocha. If you want to learn to really be a mensch, if you really want to be the type of person who serves Hashem as you're supposed to, get this image clearly in your mind. Every Jew, every human being is created in the image of Hashem. If I train my eye to see that, I'll treat them with honor, with tremendous accord, and I will be a vastly different person towards them. One more step. For many years, I was involved in martial arts, and I remember once going to a karate tournament, and there was a group of black belts sitting around, and um, they began discussing a certain fighter, and one of the fellows said, that guy, <laughs> that guy, he can't punch his way out of a wet paper bag. <laughs> and the other fellows laughed. And I said to myself, wait a minute. They were talking about another black belt. The guy was a killer. The guy's hands probably should be registered with the police department as lethal weapons. How could they say he can't punch his way out of a wet paper bag? And the answer is, the guy they were talking about was a first-degree black belt, and these guys were second-degree black belt. And that was the way they viewed him. From their perspective, he was not even a fighter. 
but they forgot the fact that he was quite a dangerous killer. They viewed him from their standard. And I believe that's exactly the answer to the students of Rabbi Kiva. Believe me, they had chesed committees and they treated each other with honor, but they made one mistake. When your friend is a Tana, when your friend is a tremendous Talmud Chacham, it's not enough to treat him with the honor due to a regular person. You have to treat him with accord and honor due to a tremendous Talmud Chacham and to one of the pillars of the world. And as much as they were nice guys, as much as they acted nicely to each other, and as much as they treated each other properly, appropriately, and they didn't treat each other with the cover due to the tremendous Tamiri Chachamim who they were. And they acted like the second-degree black belt to look at him, uh, first-degree black belt. He's nothing. They looked at their friends as regular friends. But when your friend is a tremendous Tamil Chacham, you have to act very differently. <clears throat> my uncle Shmiel, my wife's uncle, was a Talmud of, of Rishivazetzal. Now, a little quick story. The Rishiva became Rishiva at 24 years of age. My Rebbe, the Rishiva, Rabbi Leibowitz, his father started the Yeshiva, and his father passed away. And my Rebbe, the Rishiva, was 24 years of age. He went to Rav Aaron, Rav Aaron Kutler. Rav Aaron Kutler spoke to him in learning and said, yes, you should be the Rishiva. So he took over the Yeshiva at the age of 24 years of age. Okay, now, my wife's uncle was learning in yeshiva. wasn't just learning in yeshiva. He was good friends with the yeshiva. They had played ball together as kids. They grew up together in Williamsburg. And they played ball together. They were good buddies. And Uncle Shmuel said to me that for six months, he didn't talk to the yeshiva. Six months. When he became a yeshiva, he didn't talk to him. I said, why not? Why don't you talk to him? He said, very simple. To talk to him like a friend. I can't talk to him like a friend. He's a Rosh yeshiva. To talk to him like a Rishiva, I can't do that. He's my friend. For six months, he didn't talk to him. Now, I don't know if that was the best decision, but that was the point. When your best friend becomes a person of tremendous stature, he's your buddy, but he's no longer your buddy in the way you act to him. You have to act differently and to treat him with respect. And you have to remember he's now occupying a position. And even if you remember him playing ball back in the old days, he now occupies a position and you have to treat him with the honor due. And that is, I believe, what the Gemara is sharing with us. And that is the Tamidim of Rebbe Kiva treated each other with respect, plenty of respect. I dare say a lot more than you and I treat each other with. But the key mistake was they forgot that their friends were tremendous individuals, tremendous Tamidim Chachamim, pillars of the world. And you can't act that way to your friend when he occupies that position. Lo Nogu Kovadzelazes says the Masha. They didn't treat each other with the due covered, the due honor due to me of that stature. And I believe that there is a tremendous lesson for us from this Gemara. And that is because we now live in the age of disrespect. There is no institution, no individual, nothing left that's treated with respect. I cannot describe the disrespect that's abundant and just so incredibly prevalent that it's beyond description. As a mission in Sota, Be'ikva Mashiach Chutzpah Yisage, in a time of Mashiach Chutzpah, audacity will just spread out. It'll be everywhere. It is beyond description, the lack of respect. I was a regular kid growing up in the United States of America. 
I would never have spoken to my father, to my mother, the way my children speak to me, the way kids speak to their parents in a million years. And I was plenty wild a kid. But my wildest friends would never speak the way, but really that's nothing. I'll share with you something that I experienced back in the 1980s when I was on a bus in Israel. I'm riding a bus and two American people are in front of me and they're speaking. Ed and Bob, Bob, Ed, what do you think, Bob? What do you think, Ed, Bob, Ed, Bob, Ed? The only thing unusual is one was much older than the other. And I couldn't help but hear the conversation. And after a while, it became clear one was a father and one was a son. This was, you know, the outgrowth of the counterculture revolution of the 60s, throw off all the old ways. So Bob calls Ed, Ed, Ed calls Bob. But we don't call dad too formal on a first name basis. In the 1950s, in the United States of America, nurses were trained. When a doctor walks in the room, a nurse stands up because he's a man of learning. He's a man of stature. Doctors wore white coats because being a doctor meant you occupied a certain position. Now everyone is called by their first name, by their last name. There's nothing left. I can't begin to describe the difference between respect of the 1950s in the United States of America and our current time. And one of the manifestations of that is we argue with everybody. We argue with our doctors, we argue with our lawyers, we argue with our rabbis. And we are all, it's an egalitarian society. We're all equal, we're all the same. Would you like to know what I'm talking about? I'll give you a little experiment. If you are 40 years or younger, try this one on me. When your father or your mother walks into the room, I challenge you to stand up. Try this little muscle exercise. When your father or your mother walks in the room, I want you to stand up to your full height. Now, again, as a high school Rebbe, I would speak to the guys, and I would point out an interesting observation. It's a mitzvah ase midaraisa to treat your father with respect. It's a loch in shulchan aruch that you're obligated to stand up. But stand up doesn't mean like st- stand up to your full height when your father or your mother walks into the room. And I would tell guys, when you go home, I want you to do that. That's it's Allah and Shukran are obligated. And guys would describe, what are you kidding? Stand up. My father would say, like, like, like the king of England. Like, what? Stand up. Like, what? You know why it's so strange? It's so strange because we don't know what it means to treat another human being with honor and certainly to treat someone with the honor due to them. It is a very difficult time we live in because the respect for individuals, respect for people is gone. And I'm going to say something over here. This is not a political discourse over here. And I do not agree with everything the president of the United States of America says or does. And I'm not discussing his competency for the job, but I'd like to share with you. It is the height of audacity to mock him and make fun of him. And you may have your opinions and I may share your opinions, but you have to remember that he occupies the seat of power and therefore it's deservant of respect and all of the TikTok videos and all of the stuff that goes around showing the, I don't want to say the expressions, but the dementia patient, that's what the expressions are. It is absolutely, it's a disgusting thing to do. It's not understanding the respect due to the position. He occupies a position. You may not respect the individual. And you may not like the individual. You may not agree with the individual, but you have to respect the position. You have to speak respectfully, and you have to respect that position. And it's an issue that we have to think about because it affects everything that we do. But I'd like to share with you where it affects us more than anywhere else. 
Um, quick plug for the uh, the book, The Ten Really Dumb Mistakes the Very Smart Couples Make. Here we go. I want to share with you two scenes. Scene one and scene two, and I'm going to ask you what's the difference between them. Scene one, a young man and a young woman are walking down the street. The young man trips. She says, oh, hey, are you okay? Are you all right? That's scene one. Scene two, the same young, young man, same young woman walking down the street, and the young man trips, and she says, Klutz, what's wrong with you? You can't even walk straight? What's the difference between scene one and scene two? So the answer is scene one is when they're chassan and kala. Scene two is when they're married already three years. And I'd like to share with you, this is one of the ten really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make. As I said many times in that book, love is vital to a marriage. It's a glue of the marriage. But if there isn't respect, the marriage will very quickly devolve. It'll very quickly turn into a very, very ugly scene. And respect is a key ingredient in all relationships. The closer the relationship, the more it's needed. And ironically, the closer the relationship is, the less we treat each other with respect. John Gottman, who's a researcher, has an interesting experiment. He brings a husband and wife into his lab, and he videotapes everything. He has them discussing certain topics. He videotapes, he has monitors on the measuring that pulse their respiration. And then after they speak, he asks the husband to leave, and he brings in a stranger. And he videotapes that conversation. Brings back the husband, asks the wife to leave, brings another. Basically, what he's looking for is the way partners speak to each other and the way they speak to other strangers. And here's what he's found. Invariably, whether the couple is newly married or married many, many years, they'll speak far more respectfully to an utter stranger than they will to their own spouse. But even worse, they'll argue far less with an utter stranger than they will their own spouse. And if they do argue, and they're far more respectful and far more ready to accede to the stranger's position than they are to their own spouse. And it seems to be a rule of thumb that we treat each other with disrespect. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to share with you, that is disastrous for a marriage. Now, many people say to me, yeah, but Rabbi, what do you want me to be? Like, what am I on stage? I got to be formal? You're never formal. But it's a very sad state of affairs. If you listen to the way couples speak to each other, the disrespect is appalling. I'm a big fan of breaking the uh, the smartphone. But there's one device on the smartphone that is invaluable. It's the recorder. Put it on sometime when you're speaking to your spouse. Put it on sometime when you're speaking to your teenage son. And listen to the way you speak to each other. And what you're going to find is that we all have something to think about, and we'll have something to work on. And I'd like to share with you why it's so disastrous. In the 1980s, there was a known protocol for dealing with alcoholics. It was accepted that alcoholics were pathological liars, immature personality defenses, they're in denial. And the typical protocol demanded that when you were dealing with an alcoholic, you confronted him, Typically, there was an intervention. You would bring in the whole family and the friends and everybody, and they'd all sit around the table and point at them and say, you're an alcoholic. Stop denying you're alcoholic, alcoholic. Okay, and that was the protocol. And interestingly enough, it failed. Alcoholic after alcoholic remained alcoholic, and these protocols didn't work, and the interventions didn't work at all. Carl Rogers was a psychologist, 
And unrelated to anything with alcoholism, he began studying the state of the human condition, and he reached an interesting observation. He reached the observation that when a person feels unacceptable, when they experience themselves as unworthy, and they're blocked from moving. And he explains, on the other hand, when people experience themselves accepted as they are, all of a sudden they're free to change. Now, that may seem rather obvious to you and I, but it wasn't obvious to the entire psychological world, the entire mental health profession in the 1980s and 1990s. And what they discovered now is that the reason why they were so ineffective is because they were making the problem so much worse. Would you like to understand what I mean? I'll share with you a tip for life. How do you win an argument? I have a foolproof method to win every argument you'll ever get into. And more than that, I guarantee it's the only way that you'll ever win an argument. The single way to win any argument is very simple. Adopt the other guy's position. All you got to do to win the argument is adopt the other guy's position, and suddenly when you argue his position, he's going to readily accept yours. But why is that? Because it's human nature. When I confront you, when I come on strongly and aggressively against you, it's natural for you to defend yourself. And if you've ever noticed, the only thing an argument does is entrench each side further and more deeply into their position. Many a time I've been tempted to tell a wife and husband, just switch sides, guys. I want you to argue the other side. Because invariably when I'm arguing against you and I'm coming at you with charged emotions and I'm saying my position strongly, what's going to happen is you're going to dig in your heels and you're going to present your position even more strongly. And all an argument ever does is make each side more convinced that they're right. And this is the great discovery. Any alcoholic knows there's a lot wrong with what he's doing. Any diabetic understands that there are real dangers and damages in their lifestyle. Any person who needs to lose weight understands that. And the problem is that when I tell them in my authoritative manner, when I tell them they have to, they need to, they must, all that's happening is I'm forcing something down their throat, and naturally there's a resistance. And that resistance comes back to haunt them. And what they now do with alcoholics is quite the opposite. They deal with them very differently. Would you like to understand that fellow back in my high school, Shear? Would you like to know why he acted differently towards me than he did to everyone else in yeshiva? It had nothing to do with the fact that he respected me. Uh Uh-uh. It was much deeper than that. He understood that I deeply respected him. He felt accepted, he felt approved of, and therefore he performed. And it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. I looked at him as a very bright guy. He was put together. He seemed like a real man. He spoke beautifully. He really put on him. So I treated him exactly that way. And because I treated him that way, I created an environment for him to actually change, to grow. And this is the great yesod for dealing with human beings. And when you treat them with respect, when you treat them with honor, when you treat them as if they're acceptable and approved of, they perform for the heights. But when you treat them with disregard, when you treat them as if they're unworthy, as if they're dirty, as if they're worthless, all you're doing is creating an environment that will not allow them to ever change. You're entrenching them in their position. In a minute, especially if you're going to argue against them, you're going to further entrench them. And that is the great secret for human behavior. Would you like to know why this is very, very applicable? 
If you are married, it's very applicable. If you have children, it's very applicable. <clears throat> All you have to do is ask yourself how you deal with your child. But I'll share with you an observation in marriage. And again, only because I'm in the book now and I'm p- pushing the book. Let me focus this on marriage for a minute. It is one of those very interesting experiences that after about six months of marriage, we each become experts at what our spouse does wrong. It doesn't matter how good your marriage is. It doesn't matter how bad your marriage is. Every spouse becomes an expert at what their spouse does wrong. And they spend countless amounts of energy, effort, and time trying to change the spouse. Either she's too late or she's too early. She's too timid or she's too bold. Whatever it is, there's something wrong. And it's my job in life to get her to change. Now, interestingly enough, it fails time after time. Matter of fact, I have a little theory about marriage that usually after about 20 years of marriage, the first 20 years will be kind of eh, 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 and suddenly a major, many marriages just take off. They flourish. First 20 years, kind of fetching, kind of eh, eh, kind of hovering, and then suddenly it becomes much, much better. Would you like to know my theory why that happens? For 20 years, she's been trying to change him. And for 20 years, she's trying her darndest, and finally she gives up. He's a stubborn ox. He's not going to change anyway. So she stops trying to change him, and suddenly he's a nicer guy. Suddenly he's so much easier to live with. Suddenly he's so much more pleasant. And this seems to be endemic in the human species, this need to change our spouse. We become experts at what they do wrong, and we may be nice about it. We may be pleasant, but we try our best to get them to change. Now, why is that so disastrous in a marriage, you may ask? What's the big deal? It's human nature, okay? Watch this one. What does it feel like to be loved? If I ask you, what does it feel like to be on the receiving end of being loved? Likely, you're going to say to me something like um, accepted, approved of, cherished, right? Feels good. Okay. And what does it feel like to be respected? You can probably use similar words, appreciated, esteemed, accepted, approved, right? What does it feel like when someone tries to change you? What it feels like is not accepted, not appreciated, you're not good enough, you are inadequate. And would you like to know what your spouse hears when you try to change them? If your spouse is a male, and what your spouse is going to hear is, you are small, I'm your boss, I'm in charge, you will listen, I do not respect you. If your spouse is a wife, she's going to hear the message, I don't cherish you, I don't love you, you don't matter to me. And when you try to change your spouse, and what happens is you're giving them this very powerful meta message of you're not accepted, you're not approved of, you're making it very, very difficult for your spouse to like you, let alone love you. And I believe there's a tremendous lesson from this Gemara. The Tamidim and Rabbi Akiva acted as real mention. They had chesed committees, they had gemachs, and they acted with honor but they acted with the honor due to a regular person. They forgot that their friends were tremendous, tremendous tamidich chachamim. And when you treat your friend as if he's a regular person, but he's dignitary and he's worthy of so much more, you're acting in a very improper way. And I believe the message to us is that honor is essential for all human conduct. What Ben Aze was teaching us is, if you want to be a mensch and you want to deal with people properly, you want to treat people well, is great. Love them like yourself. That's wonderful. But if you understand, my friend is created in the image of Hashem. 
This human being I'm looking at is created in the image of Hashem. The honor due to him is beyond anything I can imagine. And that will propel you to much greater heights. But why? Why? Because, oh my goodness, look who walked in the door. Rav Chaim Kanevsky came to my house. Oh my goodness, what wouldn't, what wouldn't I do for him? And what wouldn't expense wouldn't I, what, 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 how could I possibly serve you? That understanding that my friend is creating the image of Hashem, and that understanding propels you to heights that even Vahavta won't propel you to. And why? Because that respect, I'll treat them with, I'll have a much easier time doing things for them, I'll have a much easier time bending over backwards for them, and that is the Yasod. In all human relationships, this is the Yasod, especially when you're in a family, when you're dealing with your children, when you're dealing with your parents. It's very natural to put down your hair, but unfortunately, it's a very disastrous thing, especially with children and especially in marriage. But I want to close with one last observation. Okay, the Talmudim and Rebbe Kiva weren't great. They weren't Noe covered Zebazeh, but that's why they die. You kill 24,000 students because they didn't reach the heights of, of treating respect? And I'd like to ask you another question. We are now in exile. And the reason we're in exile is because of the sin of Shinnim, the baseless hatred of the second base of Mikdash was destroyed. Okay, it's not great. I'm not saying it's great, but there are 613 mitzvahs, and one of them is uh, they were violated. Why is it such a big deal? Why did Hashem feel that they had to destroy the base of Mikdash, send the Jews into exile? They can't be in the land anymore. They're not worthy of being there. There has to be a total change. Why did Hashem have to kill 24,000 students because it's such a little thing? Would you like to know the answer to this? Hashem created us to grow, to accomplish, to change the essence of ourselves. Hashem created us to perfect ourselves. And the measure of all perfection is Hashem. Hashem is the native, the one who gives, the ultimate benefactor, the ultimate giver. The way Hashem runs the world is by being a mative. When we're trying to perfect ourselves, it's by being more like Hashem. And if you're not a Baal Chesed, if you're not helping other people, if you're not treating other people with honor, if you're not really working on Vahaptarach you're so far from what Hashem is that you're in a different plane. It's not that you're a little bit off, you're way off, you're way, way off target. And you're nothing like Hashem. You're not growing, you're not perfecting. It's not a little imperfection. It's so off target that you're not even in the category anymore. And they were the shalshelas, they were the chain, they were the mesora. And when you're off in treating with respect, it's so disastrous. It's not in the category of Ever Hashem. And I think the so for us is the honor due to our friends and the honor due to our children, to our parents, to our wives is beyond description. The way to focus on it is to remember the created image of Hashem. When you work on that, Hashem helps, and you change the way you look at them and the way you act. And now I'd like to open the floor to questions, thoughts, observations. Please feel free to raise your hand if, you're, if you'd like to. If you're a little shy, you can certainly type it in, but I appreciate people raise their hands and ask questions. Please feel free to ask. It can be on this topic or any other topic, but again, please feel free to ask. Um, okay, Avram, it looks like you have the floor. Avram, go ahead. Hey. Good evening, Rabbi. Good evening. Hi. Um, interesting question. The interesting question is, um, let's hear a scenario. I know this could fall under probably many topics, whether it's a coworker, whether it's a you know a parent, child, spouse, whatever, before anything. But I'm just curious. Let's say you have a scenario where you're dealing with somebody else 
who you have to have a relationship with. And um, they're, you can clearly tell that one of the issues is, is that they're being dishonest to you. They're being, I mean, they're putting you down. They're not giving honor to you. And they're clearly in that. Maybe they don't realize they're doing it, but that's what they're doing. How, when, how do you not be down from that scenario and, and still show them respect without trying to change the scenario? Uh, my son has a uh, expression, kill him with love, <clears throat> kill him with respect, kill him with love. <clears throat> um, I'm not saying it's easy to do, but <clears throat> unless you'd like to make an enemy, <clears throat> you have to ignore that. And you have to, the more honor and covet you treat them with, the nicer you treat them, <clears throat> likely the more <clears throat> they'll reciprocate. Um, <clears throat> you know, unfortunately, because I, I, you know, I, I believe once you're talking about marriage, it gets a lot more complicated um, I have a great book that I think every husband and wife should read together. The 10 Really Dumb Mistakes. This is great marriage therapy. Husbands and wife, read it together. Now, when you read it together, you see, it's a lot easier when you hear the stories of other couples and other people, and it's not your husband blaming you, not your wife blaming you. I think it becomes a lot easier. But that's that's really, that's my recommendation. I'm not saying it's an easy situation, but I am telling you, the only way you can win that is by treating them with more honor, more respect. Um, and uh, if it's a wife, then read the book together, and read the Shem, it'll hopefully become easier. All right? Okay. Thank you. Okay. My pleasure. Okay. Uh, let me just mute this and move on. Please feel free to raise your hand if you have a question. Uh, you can ask a question on this topic or any other topic. Um, okay, I have Edward online. Edward, actually, one second, I have to uh, disable talking over here. Edward, you are on. Shalom Aleichem, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, Rabbi. I missed, uh, you know, a few Zooms with you. but you A few on, Zooms, on Edward, it was more than a few. Oh, my goodness, a lot yeah. more than a few. I was reading I your book. Long yeah. time. I'm sorry? One world, two chances, something like that. So I like it very much, by the way. And uh, but uh, about the marriage, it's a lot uh, I picked up from your schmooze. By the way, I'm on number one twenty-five. So, <laughs> so Everyone, I love you. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Uh, about <clears throat> about the marriage. I mean, yeah. I, I got it very late, like twenty-seven. By end of thirty-five years ago. It was like very late. Everybody get married at 20. Anyway, I had two daughters. Everything is fine. But uh, since I've been married forever, I don't uh, have much respect to this institution. By <laughs> because to live with one woman, it's like to eat buckwheat for, for the rest of your life. <laughs> it's pretty hard. And by uh, the way, <laughs> I'm I'd like to hear what your wife has to say. No, I'm not asking. No, I'm not starting. No, <laughs> Let's say she's very lenient. I know I, I always say King Solomon had 700 wives. So if I have a few weekend wives, it's going to be okay too. <laughs> but uh, I'm yeah. taking it of the law. It's expired after a thousand years that you have to have one wife. Yes or no? Edward, I, you, could handle, you could handle two wives? No, you could I'm, handle two wives? No, I don't know wives. many men who could handle one wife. <laughs> Is your wife happy? Yes, yes, pretty much. Uh, pretty <laughs> much? Recently, when the law expired, I got two more, a little younger. I, I swapped one wife at 50 for 225. <laughs> Edward, is your wife happy? 
Yes, I think so. <laughs> she's just think? If she's happy, then you're doing a good job. If she's not happy, you're not doing a good job. If if she's happy, you're doing a good job. <laughs> yeah, I got five reasons when the law expired. And by the way, I didn't make a mistake like uh, Jacob did with Laban. I was not sure I got married on the person I want to marry. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. Listen, it's good hearing from you. Good, good sharing. And uh, I'm glad to hear you up to 125. Keep me posted. Let's hear how you keep moving, all right? All right, thank you very much. Yes. Okay, thank you. Okay, good. Okay, please feel free. If you have any questions, see either raise your hand uh, or you can uh, you can type a question in. But uh, in the meantime, let me just mention a few things. First of all, beginning this coming Wednesday, we have a new series starting, Mitzvah Hashem. The series is called Becoming a Whole Person. It's a weekly share on how to achieve a balanced and healthy sense of self. Uh, really, it's it's. I, I hope it'll be very um, very meaningful because this concept of self-image is something that plagues many people, if not all of us. And understanding the Torah's perspective of having a very strong, healthy sense of the greatness of a human being, and at the same time being humble, is something that's not easy at all. And, and what we're going to be working on a lot is the understanding of what arrogance is what humility is, how the Torah is supposed to view, how you're supposed to view yourself from a Torah perspective. And in fact, that balance, I think, is key and essential for all activities in life. And I think if we had an understanding of the Torah's perspective, we would act very, very differently. So I believe it's a very important series. It's gonna, I, I hope it'll be about eight weeks. I'm not sure exactly how long it'll last as we develop. It'll, it'll come out, but, but it'll be starting this coming Wednesday night at 8 p.m., You'll see if you're not getting the updates. So if you go to WhatsApp, you get the Schmooze, the Schmooze WhatsApp Chizik group. If you'd like to join to get the updates and to get replays, et cetera, go to the Schmooze.com, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com. On the top, you'll see a banner. You click on the banner, and you'll be able to get uh, you become a member of the Schmooze WhatsApp group. And then you'll get all notifications of the coming Shurim. You'll get the replays. For instance, tonight, we'll go out and meet Hashem tomorrow, um, et cetera. But in any case... Beginning this coming Wednesday night is becoming a whole person. Again, it'll be about an eight-week uh, series on uh, on creating a balanced self-image, dealing with humility, arrogance, finding a proper self-image. If you haven't got a chance to get a copy of the ten really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make, please go to theschmooze.com. If you you can get it on Amazon, you can get it at your Jewish bookstores. But if you go to theschmooze.com, you also get the audiobook, ebook, as well as a marriage transformation boot camp as a free bonus. Um, okay, if anyone has any questions, please type it in. If not, I assume we're all good and all questions have been answered. That's wonderful. Okay, I thank you very much for joining, and I hope to see you Wednesday night and uh, next week on the, the Shrews Live. Thank you very much. Good night. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.